Hello and welcome to episode 22. 22! Uh, Friday Flixers Pixar Rewatch. It is Friday. Boop, boop, boop. I love doing this with you guys. Yeah. Good tips on Fridays. Good tips. Good tips. <laughs> we can give them to you. <laughs> uh, we are excited to be here to talk about Pixar's 22nd movie, Onward. And since you're already here, now is a good time to hit that subscribe button and uh, write us a review. Tell us uh, how many stars you would give us. You know, hopefully it's five. But if it's one, let us know why you would only give us a one, because we really want to know. And if you have more to say, go ahead and send us an email at jkentertainment247 at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Friday Flicks Podcast, and you can leave some comments there and tell us what you think because uh, we really want to hear what you guys, what you guys like, don't like, so we can be better. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys, whoever you are. Your input matters. Yeah, we mostly want to hear how much you love us, though. We really, <laughs> we really need that. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get into the movie, let's see who's here. As always, we've got Jimmy Anthony, and he's going to be Barley Lightfoot. Your heart's fire! You must speak with passion! Don't hold back! Aloft! Elevar! <laughs> yeah! Nice. All right. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, we also have Cynthia Anthony, and she's going to be Laurel Lightfoot, a.k.a. Mom. I am a mighty warrior. Yes, you are. (laughs) I really mean it. (laughs) Also with us, back again, we've got Jacob Shearer, and he's going to be Colt Bronco. Are you working hard or hardly working? (laughs) (laughs) That was it. That was it. That's a true pro right there. All right. We've got Daniel McCarley here. He's going to be Wilden Lightfoot, a.k.a. their father. You hear that because that was silence. Because Wilden Lightfoot does not no, no, have no. any lines. No, not, no, no, no. I got that. I got that, Daniel. I thank you. Thank you, Bob. See what no, I'm no, saying? no. Yes. There is a tape recorder recording. No, okay. Here's the real, the real quote attributed to Wilden Lightfoot. Long ago, the world was full of wonder. It was adventurous. It was exciting. And most of all, there was magic. That's right, because the dad does do the beginning part. It's the same so actor, that's, at that's least. The actual quote. But I wanted to make the point that really is a character. He okay. He has no mouth. He did it. He beat me. Um, we also got Bob Kamek back with us, and he's going to be Ian Lightfoot. Uh, can we just take the expressway? <laughs> yeah. You know, in his defense, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, why don't you just take the... No, seriously, just take the expressway. <laughs> the obvious path! Yeah. <laughs> and I am your host, Kelly Anthony, and I'm going to be Corey the Manticore. Okay, maybe this place isn't as adventurous as it used to be. So it isn't filled with a motley horde willing to risk life and limb for the mere task of excitement. But so what? Whoever said you had to take risks in life to have an adventure? 
You Woo. did. Yeah, I did. I said it. You, you did. You and said then that. I freak out and burn my tavern down. Yeah. <laughs> this rip your sleeve clothes for remodeling. Felt like I had to add something in there. All right. Well, yes. Today we are talking about the 2020 film Onward. It's crazy to think that this came out right when COVID hit. Yeah. Wasn't it one of the first ones, like, of all the big movies to be released on streaming originally intended for theaters? No, it was released in theaters, like, the week before everything shut down, and then Disney just, like, put it on Disney+. Plus. So, if I may chime in, because... Yeah, you're up, Daniel. Because I did prepare this. So, Onward was released in theaters on March 6, 2020. Open to a very healthy, you know, March animated weekend, $39 million, on to make 61. But it also was out of theaters and on streaming by March 20th, because theaters were closed. I was actually looking this up. I mean, theaters were so closed um, that, like, the number one movie that weekend made $2,000. Oh my gosh. That's an animated movie called Strike. I looked this up. This is a real movie. You can look it up. $2,000. Wow. That's crazy. In March of 2020. Oh, yeah. That's. Like nationwide? Yeah, nationwide. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was probably a premiere party, you know? Yeah. Right. Special screening. But yeah, this, so this was. Uh, became a mostly streaming movie. Um, and I believe it wasn't even behind a paywall at first. It was just. It was on Disney Plus. We were going to try and use it, I guess, to get more people to subscribe to Disney Plus. Yeah, so it was uh, that was the box office, and it ended up actually as the seventh highest grossing movie of 2020, with 60 million dollars. So during that year, they make money because they put it on a streaming channel or for the advertising sales, or you know, how did they really make money? International releases. That's uh, yeah, that's internet. That well, no, that the 60 million dollars was in in the U.S. or in North America. And it, it made that much within like three weeks. It probably would have made more without COVID. So we don't, I, I don't know what the streaming numbers actually are. They don't release that. Right. Yeah. Well, you didn't have to pay to watch it if you were already paying for Disney+. Plus. But I don't think they have any sort of data released that says, you know, once they put it on Disney+, Plus, they got X many more subscribers to Disney+, Plus to maybe specifically watch Onward. Um, I don't really know, but I would imagine since that was right when COVID hit, I would imagine that Disney Plus didn't they do pretty well in the few months after COVID? Like just people, people yeah, like well, or what else are we doing but sitting at home and watching things? So probably, but that's pretty phenomenal, right, Daniel? That they made that much money at all in COVID? Did you well, say thirty-nine million? But it was sixty million, but it. I mean, it probably would have made more. I mean, that was with only like two to three weekends. It only had two week- real weekends before the COVID hit. Uh-huh. Yeah, it would have at least doubled that, I think. Mm. Yeah, that just goes to show what box office numbers were versus what they became. I mean, $60 million would not have been a blockbuster movie in, in 2019. Mm-hmm. That's very... Well, how did it stack up 
that year. I mean, there wasn't really anything else that year. But we came in number seven. What was behind uh, Bad Boys for Life, Sonic the Hedgehog, The Invisible Man? Uh, what else came out? Was it the top seven? Like some for some other forgettable movies. If you remember what was in theaters when COVID hit, like Holdovers from the previous year, like nineteen seventeen. Yeah, and stuff like that. I mean, that was yeah. There wasn't much time. Um, it also got nominated for best uh, animated film. Oh, but That's it didn't right. win. What won? A movie that we're going to talk about next time, and I'll say more about the Oscars. Oh, that's right. They both came out that year. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. This movie. I have thoughts about that. Almost, uh, <laughs> almost two years old now. That's crazy. Coming up on it. I mean, yeah, let's say a year and a half. All right, well, before we get into our main discussion, let me go ahead and give a quick synopsis of the movie. I feel like I should maybe say spoiler warning, like, because we're on more recent films, so I don't know. If you don't want this movie ruined, maybe go watch it before you listen to the episode. I really would, would honestly say, if you don't, don't listen to this podcast if you haven't seen the movie. Yeah. Like, more than a lot of ones, you really... Yeah, because we need to talk about the, the, I think, final segment of the movie. Which yeah. You really should watch that without a yeah, lot of discussion. Yeah. All right, so fair warning. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> watch it first, then come right back to us. Now there. All right. Okay, quick synopsis. In a suburban fantasy world, two teenage elf brothers, Ian and Barley Lightfoot, go on a journey to discover if there is still a little magic left out there in order to spend one last day with their father, who died when they were too young to remember him. Like any good quest, their journey is filled with magic spells, cryptic maps, impossible obstacles, and unimaginable discoveries. When the boy's fearless mom, Laurel, realizes that her sons are missing, she teams up with the legendary winged lion scorpion former warrior, the Manticore, and heads off to find them. Perilous curses aside, this one magical day could mean more than any of them ever dreamed. Um, that's straight from Rotten Tomatoes. Thought they did a good one, so I just, I just read it. So thanks, Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> um, all right. So first up, our first discussion topic, as always, is uh, what did we think of the overall animation style? And tied into that, just the overall design of this fantasy world and these fantasy characters because this is um the only pixar fantasy story really mm-hmm. which i really enjoyed about it and find really interesting um you know i mean i guess they do a brave. lot of animals and stuff yeah but brave is still like humans in like ancient scotland yeah takes place on real earth this is you, you you mean to say that brave takes place in real earth Yes. Whereas this is like Middle Earth. This is another something. planet. This is something. like, is it Kelly? Well, How there's two, there's the two, we're not, uh, we'll wait to talk about the <laughs> Pixar there. We're on overall animation style thoughts. What did people think? Well, they do say like in the spell that they have to keep saying a bunch of times, like one more day to walk the earth. So they at least call it the earth. It seems like an alternate earth or something. Yeah, exactly. Middle Earth. I noticed in one scene there were two moons in the sky. And that alerted my brain to that, yeah, this is a different... That's what I was Because there's two moons, so okay. it can't be our Earth. Hmm, missed that. 
Oh, so it's like the new planet that like the Wally people travel to afterwards. And the okay. Daniel, so, hold off on the Okay. I think the animation is fine. It serves the story. It's not really as spectacular as some other Pixar movies, but it's yeah. There's something about it that doesn't really wow you, like some of the others, where you're just like, "Damn, that looks so real." Although it does look really real at times, it just doesn't have. I don't know. It wasn't making my jaw drop for some reason. But again, not that it was bad. It just wasn't a focal point of the movie, I guess, the animation. I thought that the animation was spectacular for things on the Earth, things of which we're familiar, shadows especially, water moving, when when the, uh, you know, what becomes the dragon knocks down buildings and takes all the stones to create him or herself. That was very realistic. But um, there were other things that were cartoonish, like the piece a piece of something he had to set into something that didn't have the depth of what like a rock would have. Mm -hmm. So things that were fantastical, magical, weren't quite as clear and it could just simply be not as recognizable to me. Um, But cars driving across fields and long shadows, I mean, that was exquisite. That's characters good. themselves not being human um, were interesting just because they weren't human, so you can't quite compare as much as sometimes in other films. But, um, you know how other films had exquisite like fabric or hair blowing or something like that? This movie didn't have that. It, it had a few nice sunsets, but it, yeah. it was almost like the small detail seeing a river from a distance. The van was really cool. <laughs> that looked real. <laughs> That's true. I didn't notice the cars in particular looking very realistic. But yeah, I, I'm so glad you mentioned the monster at the end because that is animated in such a cool way. Mm-hmm. The monster at the end, the dragon, and he takes like the happy dragon face off the... Oh, the- so funny. Yeah. And then, but then it like breaks off its like eyebrows later to like look <laughs> That was really cool. I love how the roar is it's like, like the, the school, school bell. bell. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that. That's really cool. That was a funny touch. That yeah. was really good. That was great. Yeah. I think the animation is just kind of cartoonish, so it's not really something that will like wow you at all. It's just sort of, I don't know, it's not that detailed. Yeah. They do well with the expressions. Whatever characters expressing whatever movement whatever they do a really good job with just giving that to you but it's not very realistic at the same time i mean that is like the core of animation as an art form i guess what you just described not necessarily making things look realistic but like evoking emotion making drawings seem as if real characters but they weren't trying to push the envelope with the cartoon or the the animation Mm -hmm. right that's the way to put it they weren't trying to push the envelope yeah it's still very clear and like just watching it on our big TV in high def, it still is really nice to look at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it didn't wow me as much as Toy Story 4, like really wowed me for some reason. Like I know mm. we talked about that in our last episode, uh, but it's still Pixar. It's still great. I mean, I, I liked um, the design of most of the characters. Um, I think the manticore is really well designed as a character 
Um, yeah, I thought she looked a little too cartoony. I would have liked her to seem a little bit more actually, like, beastly and, like, maybe a little scary in a way. I mean, she was when she was burning the, you know, the place down, but I don't know. She kind of looked very, like, cuddly and stuff, and maybe that's trying to represent her character being nice. And, Really? I thought, like, throughout the movie, they animated her to look a little bit more and more intense, like, as it gets more intense. Yeah, maybe you're right. Like, by the end, she looks kind of more intense. Maybe. I mean, she, she could be right. I agree. She was a little, a little cartoonish. Yeah, yeah. She might have been better if she was a little bit better. I agree, I agree Daniel. It was very cartoonish all the way through, and her voice and everything about her was just sort of over the top, and other characters were kind of more connected, at least to being or even some weirdness that they work. But, so I, I thought she was just a little very unbelievable, actually. Yeah. Again, I don't know if that has to do with the design or like the voice actress um, Octavia Spencer's performance. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure, but I agree. It, 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 she well, it must have been the director's choice, right? Yeah. Make her be sort of kind of wild and uh, impulsive. There's just something about that character that I don't like. Kelly doesn't look like she agrees. I love the Manticore. Just so fun. <laughs> Manticore, like, should have been really good. I want. I, I thought that character should have been, like, better yeah. than she was. I do agree. I mean, this kind of goes into our next um, topic anyways, which was the voice acting. I really like the Manticore as a character, but I do agree that I felt like Octavia Spencer's performance was first of all I couldn't really tell it was her and so I don't know if that's just she was playing it up yeah like a little bit too much maybe well that's fine I don't need to tell who the actor is yeah well whatever but I'm just like kind of agreeing with you even though I really like like the character I do think that yeah that she maybe overacted (laughs) a little bit or something I don't know or under yeah one or the other I don't know Do you think that the decision to cast her was based on um, her popularity? And she had, I don't know if it was an Oscar, but she was so famous after The Help and she had done other films and that Disney sort of capitalizes or leverages great talent like that, you know, as opposed in this case to maybe not the best one for that part because it was so over the top. In other words, I guess it's a question about how Disney or Pixar casts if they're determined uh, more by famousness, you know, and recognition or simply talent. Do you guys know all the above? Probably a mixture, I would say. Well, I mean, the top actors on this are Octavia Spencer, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who I'm sure is not cheap. Chris Pratt and Tom Holland. So I think, I think that they were maybe going a little bit like, Ooh, let's get some really good stars. Maybe we'll draw in more of an audience. But I think that the other three did a phenomenal job, actually voice acting. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is so memorable. Most of the time as a comedic actress, like she's just really delivers. Um, But you can barely even tell that she is the mom. To me, that's, I didn't. I didn't really notice it was her the whole time. I think she her performance is good, but it didn't sound like 
Julia Louis-Dreyfus to me. Well, right. I totally disagree. I thought it was very obviously Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I didn't, I didn't really notice it was her until the end, when she has the sword, and she says, I'm a mighty warrior. Yeah. And she pronounces the word warrior the same way that she does in A Bug's Life. And I was like, oh, is that Julia <laughs> <laughs> That's that was funny. That was... Yeah. I mean, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do a bad job. We said earlier, it doesn't matter if you don't know that it's them. And that is true. Yeah. She just needs to be true to the character. And that character is just like the nice, perfect mom, pretty much. So she was doing what she needed to do. Well, what did you guys think about Chris Pratt and Tom Holland? I think Tom Holland was a good choice. Tom does the Holland. Right Can we just talk about his accent for a minute? I'm a squeaky yeah. teenager. Oh, oh my God. Tom Holland is so good at sounding like an American teenager. When you hear him talk with his normal voice, you're like, dude, you can stop the British accent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's really good. Like, I always knew he was British, but it's so weird to hear him talk in his British accent. Because he's really, yeah, like, so good at sounding American. It's like, like an East Coast accent or something. Like, he sounds like Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. Well, which is not <laughs> British, either. No. <laughs> no it's yeah, not. I mean, it's just, yeah. How old was he when he did this? Well, he question. was born in 1996. He was oh. born. I'm not sure exactly how old he was. So, in 96, it came out 24, three. When he recorded, he was probably at 23 or 22. Probably 23 when he was recording. He's always looked younger than he is, even like, no. Yeah. Okay, Chris Pratt. I thought Chris Pratt did a great job. Yeah. Again, he seemed to maybe have toned it down. I would have expected a little bit more, like, improv lines. Maybe there are ones that we just don't know. It just seemed like part of the script. Chris Pratt is such like a strong improviser. I'm surprised we didn't. But then again, that's not really Pixar's style. They're not like a DreamWorks movie that's going to put in some. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I just feel like these amazing comedic actresses. I mean, or actors specifically Julia Louis and um, Chris Pratt. I would even expect a little bit more laughs from them in their performances. But you know, whatever. Yeah, but Chris Pratt brought such energy. Everything he said was just full of energy and it's almost like did he and his energy as an actor you know kind of inform the animators or vice versa but whatever that inter- that synthesis was was so good I felt he was you know always positive and you know with these different curses or not curses but magical what's it called yes the spells yeah that um each one was was fraught with so much energy and action. I, I thought that character was so well created and so well executed also. Yeah, I definitely liked his character okay. better. It's my second time watching it. I really, really like the character of Barley a lot. It seems like perfect for Chris Pratt. Like it's exactly his style. It just seems like his character from Parks and Rec sort of... It, if he was into fantasy, like that's what (laughs) he definitely seems like he could be somebody who's actually into D and D. Although I kind of don't think he is. I should, I guess I was in charge of actors. I should have looked that up, (laughs) but it's just believable. Chris Pratt seems like a D and D guy, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He would, but guardians of the galaxy and, uh, Jurassic World, yeah. oh, the Lego movie he did around that time. Oh, right. Yeah, he's he's he was he's been a, he's a Comic Con regular. Yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a geek culture mainstay. I think he <laughs> totally, totally. He, he to- he, yeah, he's totally in that. 
There were some inconsistencies with his character, but I think it's a script thing, at, especially at the end. Uh, you know, I don't know if this is the right moment, but it was hard for him. You could tell because it'd be hard for anybody to flip and the way he, that character has to kind of change like this at the end, like he's no longer the fuck up all the time just because he got whatever it was he needed. And that's a hard, just complete switch mm. just from being as goofy as he was. And so like, you know, there was so many, I don't know, it just seemed like it happened too fast. Well, all of a sudden he can like missile his van, like all these kind of different things that are like, you wouldn't have ever been able to do that 20 minutes ago. Yeah. That's part two. But he's just a fantasy guy who like is like, let's have a great time. Why would he not be able to do the car thing? Well he doesn't touch or whatever. He yeah. like fails but, at everything he does. That's the point. Does he though? It seems like it. I mean he guided Ian through the whole adventure. You know? I get I get that. But, his life is really the point at the whole end. So okay. So we're now in his head, his fantasy world. Once we go on the adventure. Yeah, I don't know why his car is able to fly, and other than like if Ian is somehow doing it, because he doesn't have magic. It's called gas. Yeah, I think it just kind of jumps. It just kind of drives and then oh. goes up a ramp. It's obviously very lucky that it works. That's what I'm saying, though, is like from that point on, all of a sudden he's like good at everything. And that's what all I'm trying to say is that that's a hard thing for Chris, and he did as good as anybody could. It's like a, it's just a lot of a flip. And it kind of happens just out. Oh, we're just on a quest. Now it's good. But the whole thing about the quest is that is what he's good at. He knows all the culture of the spells and the maps. And like, he knows about all that stuff. And Ian doesn't. But Ian's the one with the magic. But Barley's the one with the knowledge. So it really, like, the whole journey is is what he is good at. It's justifiable, but it's, it's a stretch. That's all I'm saying. It needed one more scene. That's it. Yeah. What did you guys think about the idea that um, he knows everything about the magic because of the D&D-like game that is historically accurate? Well, what did you think of it, Jimmy? Well, I <laughs> love the fact that they're referencing D&D because I'm super into that right now, so that was great. I loved all the references and homages, but yeah, I don't know. It just seems like a little bit like, okay, like... I don't know. I have I have mixed feelings about it. Again, it just kind of feels kind of stupid, sort of, when he's like they're trying to figure out what to do, and he like goes into like his little card deck, and he like finds he's like this. It's a picture of something, and this will help us on our journey or whatever. It just feels a little stupid. The the game is historical fact. But yeah, and his based on the real spells that creatures used to do. It would be like you know, oh, we're trying to do some sort of an experiment. So let's go look at the science history books we've got from our... <laughs> let me go on Google. I don't know. <laughs> Open the encyclopedias. But I mean, they made a good, they make a big deal about how magic is dead, but there's somebody mm-hmm. creating a game based on the magic that's dead. So, I don't know. Yeah, that, so? that wasn't all like fully explained. Like there's some people who... There's obviously, you look at Barley, there's a lot of people who are still into this magic and believe it and stuff, but 
Like, most people don't believe it, I guess, but they still have games about it. Just because people don't use magic anymore or don't really believe in it doesn't mean that there are people who don't know about it historically. And it doesn't mean that magic can't exist in this world anymore. Clearly, you just need to know how to do it. And clearly, there's, you know, you need to have some sort of innate magical ability, you know, like Harry Potter. So, I... I don't think it's that far fetched. And we we're talking about an animated, you know, fantasy planet. So, oh, <laughs> this is a big question I have. Kind of offshoot of the magic theme. Um, so when they're on the Cheetos, floating down. Oh, I love that. Yeah. What okay. kind of imagination came up with somebody was high? Hilarious. <laughs> but he makes a point that. Barley should stop eating so much because apparently they shrink down or the water's destroying them. I don't know. I assume that the spell wears off because that happened in every other situation, right? It eventually wears off. Why does the twig from his hand stay big for the rest of the movie? Because he's maybe mastered he's maybe he's mastered the spell. He could right probably, now. yeah, like keep redoing the spell theoretically. Like big again, big again, anytime that it's about to wear off. <laughs> I don't know. I mean worst worst case. I know, I just it was a, I just noticed it. I thought it was kind of strange. Well, isn't yeah. it that the spells wears off when you stop following the specific rules of each spell? So maybe he's just totally mastered how to do that spell without a wearing off. He's leveled be. up, Jacob. He's leveled up. <laughs> I just assumed, like, why not just go get the stick from the ocean? It's not that hard. Maybe. But it's it's not it's not the same one. They don't have summoning spells of any kind. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure he goes and summons that he out of the ocean. He needs to cast locate object and go find a cast water breathing. <laughs> See, yeah, there's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about some of the main themes from this movie. Um. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a movie about, you know, getting to talk to a parent. Um, And it's sort of like a treasure hunt movie, too, in a way. But I was trying to think, like, what is the message maybe behind this overall story? And I came up with appreciating what you have instead of wanting what you don't have. Um, You know, because the whole thing is Ian has felt like, okay, he hasn't had a father his whole life, which is obviously very sad. Um, But because he's been so focused on talking to his dad, wanting to meet his dad and knowing about his dad, that's definitely gotten in the way of his relationship with his older brother. Right. And at the end of the movie, he realizes like, Oh, Barley was there for me the whole time. And I've, you know, not really been maybe appreciating him that much. Um, So I don't know. What do you guys think? about that yeah i agree <laughs> that's exactly what i thought <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's a good theme i mean i think there's mixed together with other themes of the movie there's something about grief and um grieving and, and like how we can support one another through grief especially like from family member to family member and like believing in yourself is like a big for like ian's character and, like, can't have an adventure without taking risks kind of a thing and and um i mean yeah there's a lot going on but i think that is a big one what you just said appreciate what you have and um yeah look at the love that's around you and not the love you lost or something like that whether that's through death or however 
I think it's also about an appreciation of non-traditional parental figures. Yeah. Like people who are not directly parents, but who have had to take on parental roles and parental responsibilities. And like, For sure. And like about that. I mean, that's, that's an element too. Yeah, no, definitely. And I thought it was so interesting how they pointed out how the older brother never really had that or how Ian realized that. And that's why he lets, um, sorry for getting the older brother's name. Barley. That's why he lets Barley, uh, you know, meet the dad while he goes to save the day. And it kind of had to be that way in the end anyway. But, um, I just thought that was a really good point. Something that had never really occurred to me like this movie as a younger brother, you know, and my older brother probably did have role models and people to help him figure things out, like his older cousins and, and other people. And of course, he had a father, so there's that too. So it's not like a perfect comparison. But anyway, I had never really thought about my older brother as like someone who didn't have an older brother, you know, the way I did. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just thought it was an interesting point, kind of resonated. Well, and I loved the scene where he has his little checklist, you know, and he realizes that all the things he wanted to do when dad quote came back he did or had accomplished in some way or another with his older brother I relate to this story because I lost my mother when I was young but I was the eldest daughter in a family of seven children so I I I never really knew until adulthood and later you know how much I influenced all of them and it's like crazy but they they what did we have left? You know, my dad was completely grief stricken and busy as a doctor, a physician. And I literally stepped up into the role of the mother. And um, anyways, my point is, is that it's so interesting. And especially for young children, they will find a substitute, somebody that can show them love, guide them, you know, uh, even just basically educate them, you know, teaching my younger sisters how to use a curling iron or, you know, put on makeup or those things that meant that were, I didn't even know were significant till later. So, um, so that message is, is really strong and the loss of a parent, that message is really strong. And didn't the director or was it the producer? Somebody, in fact, had lost a parent while they were writing the film. Do you know any more about that, Daniel or Kelly? So the director, who is... Scanlon, Dan Scanlon. Dan Scanlon lost his father um, when he was young and never met him, just like Ian. And when he was a teenager, they found a tape recording of his dad's voice. Oh, Interesting. So he was like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm finally hearing my dad's voice. I had no idea. So it, the movie is based on the director's life of not really knowing his dad and then suddenly getting this tape recorder um, found later in life. So that's why that tape recorder part's in there, because that really happened to him. And what would it be like if he got to um, see his dad for um, for a day? So well, talk about bravery. What kind of courage does that take to make a movie about that i really admire that you know that he made that film and it's not a common it's not a common theme in films especially for children and families it really isn't so you know usually someone dies maybe and there's sadness but then you overcome it but this 
the film, it was embedded in the entire quest. The whole arc of the film's action was because of that need to reconnect with their dead parent. You know, really interesting. And the way that they don't really allow the audience to see that reconnection, you know, is very, I don't know, impactful. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, that was the thing. Because, I mean, it's like, you see the trailer, you're going through this. It's kind of like a weird premise so far. You have these sentient ants walking around. Mm. And it's like, is the dad really going to come back? And it's like, how... You watch this movie, like, how exactly are they going to pay this off? And the way they did it, I think, was correct. Because one of the whole thing is, like, Ian in particular, I think, has a very idealized fantasy view of who his father was, and there's, like, no version that's actually going to live up to what's in his imagination. But what kind of brilliance is it that can, quote, bring back the father, but only from the waist down? And that is so funny. So I was talking to Byron Anthony, who's been on our um, podcast before, and his significant other, Rachel, about that I had only seen the movie about halfway through, and that the dad was just like a pair of pants. It's so funny. It is so odd. It, that's such creativity and imagination. <laughs> and they're trying to fill them out, you know? Maybe that's allegorical, right? Or metaphorical, right? That's like they only know some part of their father, not all of him. Um, anyways, I just it's, it's pretty funny if you tell somebody the story like, so what's the movie about? Well, these two brothers, you know, and the dad, they do magic. And the dad comes back, but he... He's only left from the, from the waist down, like his belt. He's a pair of pants. <laughs> it's funny. And it, it, it definitely struck me as funny through so many of the scenes. You know, his little pumpkin head or whatever they're using for his head, you know, kept falling off and him falling down. And um, so, I don't know. I'm always amazed at the creativity of Pixar. And, and then one time they use his legs, like, to grab something up a impossible cliff and they use his legs in the water to send him down to try to hit the thing the stone that's going to open the stone above them so they don't drown uh, that's just to my mind that's you know whoever writes this stuff they deserve all that money because it's it's beyond most of us to even conceive of it and then they created a movie and it took us for that ride it, yeah we go, we're going there with them I love it. Yeah, I mean, when this movie was coming out, I heard about the premise of them trying to see their dad, who they lost. And a lot of the people, well, it's not like I know that many people, but, you know, people that I've heard who have lost parents were like, I don't know if I can go watch this movie. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be too, affect, like, affect me too much. And... Even I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be sobbing. <laughs> but I have not lost my parents. Um, I still got teared up at the end for sure. But, I mean, thank you for sharing um, that about your mom, Cynthia, because I I know that you've lost both your parents already at this point. But I was like, oh, well, she did lose her father when she was a bit older. But I forgot about the whole fact that you lost your mom when you were, what, 18, right? So, I think I might have been 19, 19 but even so. But so I guess the year of college, you know, such an important time. But Jacob as well. Yeah. So, I mean, so I'm not putting yeah, him on the spot. Something interesting that happens psychologically 
is you kind of get stalled or stunted from when they die. So with Barley, he acts like whatever he is, five or seven or whatever he was when his dad died and he couldn't go into the room and see him all hooked up to tubes. So he like perpetuates that age in everything he does, even though he's driving a car. And But anyway, it's all this fantasy. And that's what kids that age are all about. They're stuck in their head all the time. It's a good thing. It's part of maturation, but he's stuck there. Uh, I lost my mom when I was 18, my dad when I was 19. So I was kind of past um, Ian's age, but uh, it definitely, it stunted me for a while. It took till my mid to late twenties to kind of get out of that fog and like move on onward. That's the thing that's cool about that name is because the body keeps moving, but the mind is stuck. So it's just kind of like onward you go, like, sorry, just keep going. The other thing that in my life was unique is I have an older brother whose father died when he was still in my mom's womb. So I grew up with his kind of perspective of never knowing his biological father. My dad was in the mix and fathering him, but there's always that thing. And if he had found a tape hearing his father's voice, it would have been a whole thing. He would have obsessed over it. It would have been all he wanted to listen to all the time. And he would totally have done what Ian did and just kind of make up this fantasy around seeing him again or whatever. I'm, I'm a little against the idea of seeing them for one day because I feel like it would be too much. Uh, you wouldn't be able to let go that fast. But, um, but maybe that's just where I'm at. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's an interesting point. So did you have like a connection to this film at more because of that at all, Jacob? Or It was certainly a twist. I didn't really expect that to be the point of the film. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was strong. I, but like I said, I, it didn't hit me as hard because I don't think I would ever choose to do that. Mm-hmm. It just, it, one day, I guess you could say future and you could just say, you know, shoot the shit one more day or whatever, ask them a question, but I think it would be too painful. I agree with that. I, I, I honestly, I, I don't think I want my mother or father, but particularly my mother who died when I was young, younger, uh, to come back for one day and just say goodbye again. You know, to, to, to lose her again would be just terrible. So, but the film portrayed that in a very gentle way. Um, yeah, it was smart that they chose. We would know what to expect. Ian didn't know what to expect from his father coming back because he'd never met him so i think it's a different a different perspective yeah he's like looking for closure but he can't really get that in like one day it's kind of true for a lot of the audience certainly the adult audience for this movie you know i mean they make these films for young people but many 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 i mean obviously people have lost someone they love dearly particularly a parent um they, I think they were very tender about that. Even though both Jacob and I, here we are, just two people in the universe saying, I would not, I could not handle, you know, a brief time with a, a deceased parent. It would break my heart all over again. But, um, you know, I can see, especially for children, you know, the longing for anything, 
right? From just one more day. So it's powerful. It is powerful. And, and, you know, some of us to protect ourselves are resistant to that, but didn't, it did not make the movie any less poignant. Well, it is a little interesting though, because Ian never knew his dad at all. Like you guys at least still knew your parents. Yeah. Similar to Barley, you know, so Ian, yeah, like Daniel was saying, has this like fantastical, you know, perception of what his dad's going to be. You know, and Barley is just so supportive the whole time of like, yeah, let's get you to meet dad. And, you know, it's not until they're floating down the river on the Cheeto that he says, yeah, I can't wait to add another memory of dad with the four that I have. And Ian goes, well, I thought you only had three. And he said, oh, well, I never told you about the time that he was dying in the hospital. And I was too scared to go in. And if Barley had never shared that... I don't know if the ending would have been a little different if Ian would have not decided to um, let him see him. But, you know, when, when everything's crazy and they're trying to defeat the dragon and, you know, the dad's about to be materialized, I guess. And Barley says, okay, I'll hold off the dragon. Like you, you go say hi to dad. And Ian goes, no, you go say bye to dad. Yeah. Do you guys feel like um, it's kind of sad that the mom doesn't get to see him again? It had to have been intentional, Bob, that she didn't have that longing, that she had settled, you know, that she had, I don't know, come to an acceptance, Mm -hmm. which does happen. I don't know. I can't say simpler, but it does happen for adults much more so than a child is going to hang on to, oh, if only, if only, versus the adult idea and understanding of the finality of death. So, um, so yeah, no, it, one of the one of the boys does say that in a certain scene. Well, mom wants to see dad, or mom wanted to. I can't remember when that happened, but uh, yeah, there wasn't an investment in that. He says, "Oh, we're running out of time. We're not going to have enough time to get back home for mom to say hi to dad." That's I right, think. right. But I did think it was cool how, like, the moms. You know, when they first, when she first gives them the staff, and they're like trying to do the spell, but it's not working. She's there with them, like, waiting, like, mm, maybe I'll see my dead husband. But then when it's not working, she's like, I'm going to go get your cake. It's okay. I'm sorry you didn't get to see your dad. So she, I think she would have liked to have seen him. But I think it's kind of cool that she, you know, clearly has maybe moved on a bit. A bit. She also has the police officer boyfriend. So I yeah. think it's a little weird to put in a Pixar movie, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go say hi to my dead husband real quick. <laughs> like, but I just think it's cool that she was clearly like supportive of them doing the spell and seeing their dad. And she wasn't making it about her seeing her dead husband. Even. They, they, they also justify it with the fact that she probably was in the hospital room with him saying goodbye yeah. and Barley wasn't. Mm-hmm. Her, yeah. She had a little more closure and to Cynthia's point, she was older. She's the mom. She's dating a guy now, so she's clearly kind of moved on, and the boys haven't, you know, which, you know, well, makes I don't want this, you know, personal story of mine to turn it into a sob story, but and maybe Jacob can relate to this as well, but seeing your dying parents in a hospital connected to all kinds of tubes, nobody knows, doctors with, and I love doctors, I'm married to one, 
but you know, with their placating statements, well, we'll see. And tomorrow, you know, things could get better and all that. But ultimately, seeing someone you love so much, so, so, so sick is uh, traumatic. And so I really related it to that um, sequence by Barkley. Yeah. I, I didn't relate so much to his guilt about it or his regret. But just that fear. And here's this guy. He's fearless, right? You know, he probably of everybody is just. Well, he says uh, that was the day I was so scared to see him and I didn't say bye. And that was the day I decided I wasn't going to be scared of anything ever again. He says that. Which is a remarkable human choice. That's just remarkable that somebody would take that pain and turn it into that power. I, you know, I was impressed by it. I think this movie just does a really good job of like balancing all these different motivations with all these different characters when they have this, like there's this, the subject is like the death of a parent or the death of death of a loved one. And it's just very like well-managed when it could be like so insensitive. It's, they just yeah. do a really good job of, you know, making sure every character yeah. has like, a good reason for what they're doing. And a lot of like, they just handle like sacrifice. Well, well, what did you guys think about the final, final scene when the dad comes back and like we said, Ian says, no, you go say bye. I'll go distract the monster. He defeats the monster, but he's like stuck in this pit of rubble. So he can't get out and to run over to see the dad. So he's stuck there, but he, you know, we're watching through the little hole with Ian. And I think even they show the mom and the manticore in the background, also kind of watching from a distance. Everyone can see the dad's appeared. But we only see his back, too, which I found, found kind of interesting, too. We don't mm-hmm. see the dad's face at all. It's all from the back. And we're experiencing it with Ian. And we don't get to have that moment. Yeah. Um, because no one really does. You know? right. It was sort of true to life. I mm-hmm. guess. But I just, you know, the when I heard about the premise of the story, and when you're watching it, you're going... Well, are you know, nothing's really seeming to work out. They're running out of time. And, you know, when you're watching, you're like, well, it is a Pixar movie. Are they going to just make it so they don't see the dad at all? Because that would be sad. Is mm. he, are they going to see, like, you know, because you don't really know. You know, it's it's sort of predictable. They're going to probably get to see the dad, maybe. But, you know, you never really know with Pixar. But I just thought it was really, like, the perfect um, ending. Or the perfect, yeah. I don't know, solution to them trying to find the dad. One of them does, he gets to say bye, and we as the audience don't get to share that moment, which I think is appropriate. I don't know. What do you guys I was going to say, the animation in that moment, um, so the simplicity, the simplicity of the hug, right? So dad reaches out, and you see him slightly pulling his son towards him. And then the son raising his arm. Okay, so many of us have loving relationships in our families and friends where we will hug all the time. But when you break it down like that, in a moment like that, it's just simply beautiful and universal. And then, of course, when Barkley says to Ian, and he told me to give you this, and then hugs Ian. And in that shot, there's a close-up on Ian's face just you know, res- resting in uh, Barkley's shoulder, just just taking that love 
and accepted. I that was so beautiful. And I don't know why it impacted me more in animation than perhaps in real life. Maybe it was intentional. It must have been the colors were right or something. You know, because they, they were like different colors and different sizes. You know what I mean? The dad had skinny arms and Barkley had big old, you know, muscly arms. But that was so simple and so touching. I agree. Yeah, like you said, I think that they... Yeah, that's the right ending for that story. I remember the first time we watched it, I really liked the ending. And then apparently, I mean, I didn't look too far into it, but apparently there are a lot of fans of Pixar that really hate that Ian never got to see his dad at the end. And I'm like, I think you guys are missing the point (laughs) of the story. Yeah. I'll never forget, like, Bob texted me. This is why I wanted Bob on this episode. Bob was like, oh, I'm just texting people, like, give me movie recommendations because it's COVID. And I was like, oh, well, have you watched Onward yet? And he said, no, I'll watch it. And then, like, the next day I get a text from Bob that just said, oh, he had a dad the whole time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I, what I liked so much about it was that, like, I think it's good because when it gets to that sort of resolution, like, I didn't realize what was going to happen. And, and when he actually realizes, like, oh, I was kind of, like, raised by my brother anyway. Like, I was like, oh, that's such a good, like, I just didn't see that coming. And I think that's sort of, he doesn't really either. So it's like, you're sort of having that, like, uh, like revelation, like with him almost. A lot of it is what I was talking about earlier is how Ian was almost like his dad at the start of the film. Like, oh, yeah, Ian's, uh, Barkley is barley. doing his, barley, yes, I knew it was wrong. <laughs> uh, uh, is up to his old shenanigans again, fucking up this and left and right. And so it was almost like they made Ian more mature than him. So it was even more of a twist because Ian is so cut and dry and kind of anal. And, uh, you know, he has all his lists and he's always doing his homework or whatever. And so it's kind of a weird twist. But and his brother is like kind of embarrassing to him. And he's like, right. he thinks yeah. he's kind of a screw up. Embarrassing like a father would be embarrassing sometimes. Yeah, where they shows up to school to pick him up and he's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. I remember watching this one YouTube video about the movie that's like a therapist and a movie maker have like a YouTube channel where they watch movies. It's called Cinema Therapy. I've never seen them before, but I was like, oh, this is a good movie for them to watch and talk about. Anyways, he mentioned that, you know, the whole thing about Barley being a screw up is sort of a a reaction to the fact that he didn't have a father. I think Jacob, you kind of were talking about this earlier, but that Ian is like, you know, probably going to go to college and a little more, like you said, anal and buy the book and make sure he does his homework. Like Ian thinks he's so awkward and weird because he didn't have a father, but really he's actually had a really good stable childhood because his brother was actually there guiding him the whole time. Mm-hmm. Or at least the one who kind of like is a little more lost, honestly, more than Ian is at the end of the day, because he did he lost his dad more than Ian did. I just have to say, this is why I love yeah, I love this podcast because Pixar gives us these deep themes to look at and examine and reflect on, and you know, it's not that typical in films, particularly family films. And uh, it's it's just brought so much appreciation to myself, uh, learning more about 
the backgrounds and um, this, you know, and honestly, just witnessing the brilliance of the writers. I guess that's where I go back to in this movie, how well written it is. Yeah. Yeah. Everything circles back and connects. There's no like unnecessarily fluff, unnecessary fluff in this movie, really. And it has to be. It's a pretty sprawling adventure they go on. A lot of different things happen, so it's got to be pretty concise to hit all those different plot points. All right. Well, I think now's a good time to maybe move on to some fun facts before we do our final thoughts. Get ready for some some fun. Um. So on a funny note, uh, on January 27th, 2020, a San Francisco tattoo artist named Sweet Cecily Danaher filed a copyright lawsuit against Disney, Pixar, and Onward producer Corey Ray. Uh, September in 2018, Pixar rented a van owned by Danaher and decorated it with a unicorn-themed mural for use in a one-day festival. She learned about the production Onward in May 2019, and after seeing the images, she uh, she sued him because uh, it was the same unicorn that she was using, I guess, in violation of Digital Millennium Copyright Act, Visual Artist Rights Act, and California Artist Protection Act. Um, she also sought uh, to prohibit distribution of the film and any infringing advertisements or merchandise. She lost, I'm assuming. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, that was kind of weird that she really went crazy and sued everybody. Um, and, uh, the next fun thing, so we see a lot of, uh, Disney references in this. So there's one of the trolls in the Matacor's tavern is wearing Mickey's hat from Fantasia. Um, there's a rock troll from Frozen. Uh, the Lightfoots have Aurora soap referring to Sleeping Beauty. Um, and then there's a sword in the in the restaurant that looks like you know the sword in the stone. Mm. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of Dungeons and Dragons references. Mm. Jimmy would know more than I about that. Yeah, <laughs> the gelatinous cube in particular is literally like called the gelatinous cube in D and D, and is represented to be pretty much exactly how this is. Everything else is pretty much just sort of like a vague reference. Like there's not that much word for word stuff. Uh, except for gelatinous too. So somebody likes that over there. Um, and then uh, Indiana Jones parallels the, the invisible bridge, the the combination steps um, for the booby trap stuff. That's just both the Last Crusade and Temple of Doom stuff. Uh, a lot of Marvel nods as well, mm. uh, especially having Spider-Man and Star-Lord mm. uh, chit-chatting. Um, and then, so Barley, who Chris Pratt plays Star-Lord, mixtapes, uh, Star-Lord's all about that. Um, and then uh, Ian wears red and blue uh, and has many Spider-Man-like ma uh, mannerisms. Mm. Um, and the, something about the Infinity Gauntlet? Gauntlet? Yes, I think it's maybe at the restaurant where the Manticore works or at the tavern. It's, oh, it's the it's picking up the claw. Yeah, it's the claw in the in the toy dispenser. Uh, of course, we have our beloved Mr. Ratzenberger. He plays another construction guy, so that's fun. Um, 
Officer Bronco says they have a 113 referring to the A113 classroom. Uh, and then they have an Easter egg for their, their for the next movie, Soul. So in there, I'll let you guys figure that out. And then another big nod is the Lord of the Rings. Um, the, the wizard uh, in the beginning and kind of references Gandalf with the color, I guess, of the robe. Um, this shall not pass sign is uh, on his car, as, as Gandalf had said. Uh, the mixtape is L-O-R. Um, and uh, then there's a drink called Mountain Doom, I think in the tavern, referencing yeah. Mountain Doom. And uh, we already talked about this, but it's basically, it's based off of Dan Scanlon's. I guess one of the portraits they had is is exactly what Dan Scanlon and his brother took as a picture uh, towards the end. Yeah, so I hope you had fun. Also, there's like a in the background of one of the shops, like a fast food place, and on the sign it says "Now serving second breakfast." So another little nod to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Um, and then in this universe, it's not called Pizza Planet. It's called Pizza Realm. And there's a lot of pizza realms they drive by. And in the scene at the beginning when they're, like, paying the toll to, like, start their journey, you can see the Pizza Realm truck in the background. Also, we didn't notice this so we watched a YouTube video, but there's a sign when they're, like, paying the toll road. Or the trolls. There's, like, the giant trolls. The trolls are taking the tolls, and it says... Yeah. Pay by cash or by riddle, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of fun. But yeah, the trolls are taking the toll. You gotta pay the trolls toll. <laughs> I won't finish it. <laughs> um, all right. So I think it's time for some three-minute final thoughts and letter grades. Jimmy, you're up. Um, I really like this movie because it's centered around, like, fantasy stuff. I mean, it's really centered around all the themes you were talking about, I guess. Especially with, like, the whole modern world twist. But it does reference D&D and there's magic and stuff, and I think they animated it really well. Like, again, that showdown with the big dragon at the end really is a nice payoff. Like, with all the, you know, he learns all the different spells along the way, and he uses them all in the big showdown. I just thought it was very satisfying. Especially as someone who likes you know, fantasy and magic and all that stuff in film. So um, it's got a lot of things going for it. Um, I sort of explained earlier, I found some of the performances a little underwhelmed. Like it, the movie wasn't quite as funny as I thought it could have been, but I guess it was maybe going for more of a heartfelt, serious type of thing. But like those little pixies, I think are supposed to be really funny. and They're kind of just obnoxious to me. And... Um, Anyway, um, I don't have a ton to say other than I like it, but I don't completely love it as much as it doesn't, you know what, if I had a nostalgic connection, like if I saw this when I was younger, I might rate it a lot higher. And so it's hard to compare this to those other movies that we already rated earlier because I gave them such high ratings in large part for nostalgia, you know, if I'm honest. So it's like the grade that I give it might not represent like its true rank uh, in terms of best to worst uh, um, compared to all my other ratings. But I think I'm going to give it, well, I'm very caught between a B plus or an A minus, and I think I'm going to give it a B plus. All right, Cynthia. Well, I 
thought the movie was really creative and I still haven't gotten over how funny it is that they went down a river on a gigantic Cheeto. I don't know why that just thrilled me. <laughs> so creative and funny. Um, the movie took me for a ride, um, but it didn't like stay with me. Like I reflected on it a long time or anything like that. Uh, the, Characters I thought were really interesting, especially the brothers. But I thought the um, Olivia Spencer character was not particularly intriguing. I think I'm all in all, as in Kelly, I don't know where my grades are for all the other movies, you know, so this could be inconsistent given, given what I've said about the others. But I, I think this is a C plus. You know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, 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 it's well done. It's so well done with the story that it is, but I think we've seen so much better thus far. Okay. Jacob. Um, like Cynthia said, it took me for a ride. I was not expecting it because I just kind of like, oh yeah, that happened during craziness and I never would see this because I, you know, everyone's dying, but, um, yeah, I, I I think they handled it very well, like we've already talked about. I, it's a very, very complex issue, and it's unique to everyone who's experiencing it. And um, I think they probably reached out and grabbed the hand of a lot of kids or adults who were kids when this happened, and they, I think, shook the hand, and I think most people should be appreciative of how they handled it. And... Um, I thought the story was tight uh, for the most part, and I thought the performances were pretty impressive uh, for the most part. And um, I'd give it an A minus. All right, Daniel. I have mixed feelings about this one. I think some of it was done really well. I think the story and how they paid off uh, the whole thing about losing their dad, the way they did the final act about it was barley, and then and then the. The, the, the dragon made out of the school parts. That whole part, I think, was really good. A lot of the rest of the movie, I didn't respond to it. I thought a lot of stuff was kind of basement level. Early in the movie, movie we just kind of see, like, high school cliches. I think the Manticore character didn't get to where I wanted. I think, like, the sprites were not really memorable. I mean, I, so it's, it's mixed. I think some of it worked really well, and some of it didn't work as well. And it, it wasn't overall on the same level as the other Pixar movies. I think this the story and the world building wasn't as tight as some other places. Um, but it's still, I think it's like a worthwhile movie. And I would never dissuade anyone from, from seeing this. I think it, it mostly gets there. Um, but I like that it's original. I like the scene so much. I'll give it a, I'll give it a B. It's a B. All right, Bob. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Daniel a lot. Um, I like I've, I watched this movie twice, and I I definitely like it. Um, I think the setting is fun, like you know, like a world, like a technological world, but there's also magic. It's pretty fun. But I think I didn't really like the movie like a lot until you know the actual ending, where it's just, it just becomes very emotional, and that that's the part of the movie that I really liked. The rest of it is like I like some of the the sort of trials that they go through, I think can be fun, you know, like the bridge, the like invisible bridge and 
like uh, going through the tunnel with the gelatinous cube and all that. But I, I wasn't really like hooked on it until like sort of the end. I think it just kind of pays off, pays off well. And it's hard to like sort of judge this movie without like the Pixar lens of like, it seems a very Pixar movie. It's like, you know, it's just a high standard, I feel like. So I don't know. Overall, I'd probably give it like a B. I don't remember what I gave Good Dinosaur. But it's, about, that, it's better than that. You gave that a C. Ooh. B is better than a C, so. It is better than Good Dinosaur. What did I give? You gave the Good Dinosaur a B minus. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, um, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I, I, I have a fond memory of this movie because like we said, it came on Disney plus like right when COVID hit and like a few weeks after everything shut down, Jimmy and I went up to Paso and so did Jacob and Raul and Grace and Byron were there. And of course, Andy and Cynthia live in that house and we were all just crowded in this house for two weeks. And it was so fun to be with family. And we watched this one of the nights. So I'm always going to have a fun memory of watching this with all of you guys. Um, and I enjoyed it then, but I think I was like kind of sleepy. So like watching it again this week, I definitely enjoyed it even more. I think the first time I saw this, I definitely was kind of like, you know, Ian was like a little whiny, but Barley was a little too like, come on, man. Like, why don't you take the expressway? Like, <laughs> you know, um, but you know, rewatching it this time, I really, really enjoyed barley as a character and the way like how you know and we watched a youtube video that said it really well but they were basically saying like barley is all about you know you know their version of dungeons and dragons and magic and monsters and you know journeys and he tried so hard to get the spell to work and it didn't work and then you know ian finds out oh he has like the magic touch if you will and got the spell to work and barley could have so easily been jealous And like, oh, why did my little brother get to make dad come back instead of me? But he's not that. The whole time he's like, yeah, my brother can do magic. This is awesome. Let's go find dad. Like, he's just such a fun older brother. Um, And I just really enjoyed his character. I love the scene when when Ian accidentally makes him tiny instead of, like, making the, the gas tank large. And he's like, okay, well, I'm still tiny, so you have to drive the car. And he's like, you got to get on the freeway. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not ready. And he's in his little tiny voice like, you'll never be ready. Merge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that part cracks me up. That part makes me laugh the most for some reason. I love it. Um, I love the fight scene at the end with the dragon. I mean, the whole time they're, the manticore and the mom are like, oh, I forgot to tell him about the curse. We got to go find them. So you're like, okay, well, a curse is going to come. Who knows what the curse is going to be? Um... And so then the school, like, turns into this dragon, which is just really, really fun, like we've already talked about. Um, And I think the ending, like, to Bob's point, like, it is a little bit maybe sort of lose interest maybe in the middle. It's a little bit predictable. But the whole time, like we said, I I was like, I don't really know how it's going to end, though. Like, are they going to see their dad or not? So I think that, to Bob's point, it does pay off in the end. I think it's the right way to end the movie. And I think... You know, even though it is kind of a deep theme of like grief of losing a parent or wanting to see your parent again, there's something so like sweet and simple about this movie and the story. Whereas, you know, like Inside Out get, is a little complicated with, you know, all the emotions and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, we could talk all about the ins and outs of how the, you know, the politics of the Incredibles and stuff. But there's just something so sweet and simple about this story that I really, really like. 
Um, it doesn't quite hit like an A mark for me for some reason, I think because of that simplicity, but I also really like that about it. So I think I'm going to give this movie a B plus. I think it's a good movie. I think people should see it. It's definitely better than a lot of the other Pixar movies, you know, especially all the sequels. Like some of the sequels are good. Some of them are good, but like, you know, this is the first one after they did a bunch of sequels. You know, we had Finding Dory, Cars 3, Coco was an original one, but then Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4. Then they finally had Onward come out. It is a bit of a shame, though, that COVID hit, and so we never really got to see if this movie would have maybe gained some more traction or popularity with itself and the characters. You know, before we wrap things up, there was, like, a bunch of press surrounding the fact that this was the first Pixar movie to have the first openly gay character represented in it. Oh yeah. We didn't really talk about that, but like barely, I know it's such, such a weird thing. That's such a big deal. Well, I shouldn't say such a big deal. It wasn't a huge deal, but I I know they definitely, so they did (laughs) police officer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they did have some press around like, Oh, this is going to have an openly gay character in it. But it's just when they're like, when they get pulled over by the cops and they pretend to be the cop boyfriend guy. And he's like, yeah, just trying to teach Ian how to drive, blah, blah, blah. One of the cops just in passing goes, hey, man, I get it. Like, my girlfriend's daughter drives me up the wall or something like that. I don't really know exactly. But she just says, my girlfriend's daughter and she's a girl. So, like, that's it. That's all it is. I never even caught that. But, you know. Whatever. It's okay. <laughs> it's totally okay. And it just was weird that they even had to make a new story about it. I know. Whatever. Well, just because I think that they had to change that part for sh- to show it in China. Oh. oh. Change the line for China. Mm. <laughs> That's Oppression. Why- <laughs> No, that's exactly why. No, there's like way crazier, obviously, censor words in China, and there's a lot of reasons. There's talk about well, in some of the YouTube videos we watch about the Marvel movies, that the Marvel universe has been avoiding things that are too like devilly because of China. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, (laughs) I would give. I think based on our grades, this movie's at like a solid B. So if you haven't seen Onward, go see it. Also, if you haven't seen Onward and you listen to this podcast, sorry for all the spoilers. But we warned you at the beginning. We tried to warn you. I mean, they have to know it's going to have spoilers in it. Right. Yeah. But some people still get mad. You never know. Anyways, um, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, send us an email. We only have two movies left, you guys. What's next, Kelly? Our homework and our listeners' homework is to watch Soul, which debuted on Disney Plus almost exactly a year ago. Wasn't it like on Christmas? It was around on Christmas. I think it was. I think it was uh, exactly Christmas Christmas Day. Day. You could watch Soul. Another one that we watched with Jacob and Mm all during COVID times. Um, So happy holidays, everyone! Happy New Year! We're almost done with our Pixar movie. So again, send us an email. Let us know what movies you would like us to rewatch and review next because we are almost done. Crazy. Crazy. Just start over. Just do it again. <laughs> yeah, just do them all again. <laughs> See if our grades change. <laughs> Bye.
All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Friday Flicks Podcast is a JK Entertainment production. All thoughts and opinions by the participants are theirs and theirs alone. Original theme music by Jimmy Anthony. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Friday Flicks Podcast for updates about future episodes. And please email us at jkentertainment247 at gmail.com to contact us and let us know what you think. I'm your host, Kelly Anthony. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.